Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Christine Letera. Now, Christine runs a business called Chrysalis Consulting, and we're going to dig into a little bit about what that does. She is currently in San Antonio. She's resident there. Um, However, she's a Gold Coast girl from Queensland uh, in Australia and been around business and human resource type business, not HR so much, but teams and strategies for many years. Christine, thank you for coming on the show. It's so fabulous to have you here. Fabulous to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Let's kick off with something um, about, about I'll, I'll come back to your history but about, let's just talk about NLP for a little bit. And for people who don't know what NLP is, it's neuro-linguistic programming. And then we'll circle back and, and um, see where why it's important or how it works. Um, Christine, take it away. Oh, that's open slather on NLP. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, gosh, where do I start? So NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, what's, what specifically, um, is there an area that you wanted to discuss? I think the thing is, is that with it, this is my experience of it, and I've only had people use it, you know, with me. Um, I certainly have no idea about how to do it, although I do understand sort of the principles, but the idea of the psychology of it, where it's, I, I, I want to say manipulating. It's not manipulating. It's about... Yes, it's manipulating. Yeah, okay. We'll go from there then. <laughs> <laughs> well, manipulating Manipulating is never good nor bad. It's the, the way, it's the intent, the intent behind its use that makes it good or bad. It's the same as anything. So um, it is manipulation, um, and I'm happy to say that. And, and as I said, it's how you use it. So NLP in itself is, I guess, the foundation for a lot of the um, tools and techniques that you see in communication and speaking. If you've ever been to a speaking course or a communication course or read a book, all of that rapport building, um, wearing different hats, all of those kind of cliches or um, small bits of information that you hear um, stem from NLP. So it's about putting yourself in someone else's shoes building a rapport with them to understand their situation and where they're coming from to enable them to move to a place from where they are to where they want to be with their outcomes in mind is the way to use it with good intent. Um, but, of that. course, you know, with, with negative intent, you could use it for anything. Of course, you could use anything that you've got influence with to it negatively. I love that, yeah. um, that, that point about how it's about what where they are going and where they need to be and it's um how do you support them with it my first sort of um opening to nlp was when my wife studied it just so many things from you know the mindset point of view and shifting mindset and giving people uh, i think one of the descriptions she used is is, you know people get stuck on a roundabout and they can't see the exit but you can Mm -hmm. show them exits and you can show them Um, how to access exits and when people are dealing um, we've got a lot of creatives who listen to this show um, when they're dealing with people 
being able to read a little bit more and then also help those people. We're usually taking, trying to take people from one space to another, whether it be, usually it's a physical space in our case. Um, you know, if, if you think of architecture and design, it's physical space. We're trying to take them from one space to the other, but without understanding them, we can't get them to the right space. And without them understanding themselves, we can't get them to the right space. And I think that's where things like NLP or a, an understanding of those basics of it is understanding people's mindset and then being able to journey with them with the empathy side of NLP, walking in their shoes and, and truly understanding it from their point of view. Um, that's why I chose NLP as my kickoff point. <laughs> NLP is really interesting like that. And as you say, anyone can use it to in a consulting world where it's just that, you know, I, I think it's really coming from a, you know, your care factor. It's just thinking, do I care about this client? What do they need and how can I get them there? When you're an NLP coach, um, as your wife is, you know, it's actually taking that step further back and, and, um, and actually shifting the background of that mindset. So to use your analogy of that, going in circles in the room with all the doors, um, if you actually consider that each of those doors is currently blocked by a preconceived experience, idea, trauma, whatever, and so you naturally steer away from that door because you've been there before and it's happened you know, to you. So you want to, and you don't know which way to go. And so the NLP is actually knocking out those barriers to moving forward and allowing them to open those doors and actually walk through it. So you can stick a door in front of someone as much as you want and hammer that door. It's right here. It's right here. It's open it. And, you know, sometimes if you're, you know, if you're um, an action taker or, you know, all the words mm -hmm. that kind of coaches use is, yeah, you can barrel your way through that door. But the next time that door's presented to you, no one's there going, oh, just open it, just open it. Yeah. You're going to shy away from it. You can't actually change until those barriers in your mind are moved. I think that's so key. Like it, it's actually your own barrier. Um, mm -hmm. a, a, a good friend of mine is uh, ex-sportsman, like international sportsman, and um, he he coaches and he often like mindsets. One of his great, you know, program pieces, I suppose, and it's that NLP of uh, you know using neurolinguistic programming, and he talks about his own journey of you know the, the the fear levels that he had to overcome to get to these to open these doors and I think right. it's it's fascinating you know and we all do it we've all got it um I remember one of the first books I ever read was um Susan Jeffers uh feel the fear and do it anyway a, a yes. old old goodie book and um it's basically that kind of it, it, it's coaching you to take those steps in the fear so yeah go from the Gold Coast Central Queensland before that um, how did you end up in this business coaching world? Um, when did you were you on a property station or something like that in, in the in central Queensland? Were you out on big property or? Oh no, I was on the coast. I was oh, on the okay, coast. okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. Central Queensland coast. Central Queensland coast, beautiful. I'm a yeah, beach right. girl through and through. I'm missing it here in the centre of Texas. <laughs> You've only got Lake <laughs> Travis close by and a few other nice lakes. There is some beautiful, um, you know, the Guadalupe River and stuff like that as well. Oh, it's gorgeous. And the Kamal, you know, we've been, uh, we've discovered tubing, yes. uh, which is so fun. So we now have our own tubes and, yep. Uh, yep. 
Yeah, it's great. It's great fun. They're beautiful. The rivers are wonderful. And, you know, even in winter, I was actually swimming, uh, you know, which a lot of people here kind of were a bit shocked at. But here I am thinking I need water. Yes, exactly. Isn't it interesting how, again, this mindset thing also, but the things that release you um, yes. and, and having had water so much in your life that you suddenly need water. Like I get a boot in the ass from my wife when I haven't been surfing. You know, yes. she's like, well, for God's sake, would you go surfing? And she I go, can tell. yeah, and I, I just, <laughs> I've just got to go and get wet. I've just got to go and get wet. That's what I've got to go and do. And it's a yeah. mind shift. It just shifts you instantly, you know. Um, and, yeah, I can do it with water at rivers, lakes, whatever, but it's just, yeah. And segueing from balance that. Is, balance is really important. You know, when you're in business yes. um, and you're juggling and you've got family and business and, you know, and that's really part, and in relationships, it's really part of it. It's a holistic thing. You need to fit everything in and make time for it, whatever it is to you, whether it be water or whatever. It's a, a really good point. You know, we, we tend to um, look at balance and um, you know, for all the people who are designers in here, it's, it's key to what they do. Uh, but yes. they look at balance and built forms and in spaces and stuff like that. When you start looking at balance in life, like um, I would be a self-confessed bit of a workaholic. I enjoy it so much. It's not really work. It's a lot of fun. But then there's the running the business side, which is work. You know, and there's the marketing side, which is work. Um, and then getting a balance with that family and also myself, just my own time, is a really key thing. Like you're saying, just, you know, had to get in the water, had to immerse yourself in something. Um, yes. And you're in a great, you know, you're in a great position that, you know, you have a an entrepreneur uh, wife as well. So you understand each other, whereas a lot of people in business don't have that. And so it's, um, which is also a challenge in itself, I'm sure. But, you know, a lot of people don't have that, that understanding of that entrepreneurial need for, yes. you know, more work and enjoying what they're doing. And so ensuring that they have that balance of a relationship and understanding that connection time is super important as well. It's a, that is a really, really interesting point, you know, like that whole, the fact that, you know, we're both entrepreneurial and, with that we don't work together either we oh. we ask each other for advice on things but we don't work together we don't work in the same firm that doesn't work for us we've tried it no. and it, it doesn't work um but being able to support each other in your own endeavors um is really interesting and then also um I, I'm, look there'd be a lot of people who are going to be listening who would be husband and wife teams in the mm -hmm. same business um, and there'll be a lot of people listening where one party goes to a job that they work for someone else and the other one is um, got a, a practice, you know, whether it be an architectural practice or interior design or a building design practice. Um, give, us some, give us some insights on that. Give us some insights on, on that relationship. Bit. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting as a business coach and an NLP coach, you know, when I'm working with SMEs, particularly, I guess, in executive coaching and corporates as well, because it is the same thing. It is running a business as a business leader, even if you're employed. Um, it's, it's about setting a plan of what's important to you. And part of that strategy uh, initially when we set up is really looking at what do you want? Uh, you know, what do you want? What is your relationship now? 
what has it got to be? What is your, you know, what are, what are your priorities? And making sure that fitting those in and how you do it. And, you know, I mean, I, I had a, um, a client once, I did a, a strategy session and our setup strategy session is about a day long. It, it, at least four or five hours can be up to a day. We just go until it's done. And, um, you know, this was uh, a guy in, a, in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. And when we got to the relationship side, you know, as it turned out, um, he, you know, thought that it, this was a while ago, obviously, you know, he thought that it, that it was not going to last, this, this marriage. And so, um, and he was really concerned, which is why we've done it, because he had no structure around his business. And so part of that was actually engaging with his lawyer to actually say, okay, well, we need to bring your lawyer into this to, so that we ensure the business that we create for the future is structured properly and set up, you know, that, you know, trust monies and everything else that no matter your relationship, whether it's on or it's off or whatever, down the track, mm-hmm. you are protected, everyone in that relationship is protected and you are balanced and focused on what you want. So sometimes you can feel like you get, you know, as a coach, you get told all sorts mm-hmm. and you deal and with all some. sorts. <laughs> and then some, um, and you just deal with it. And you know, there are other times when you're sitting across the table and you're there for a strategy session, you look across the room and you go, okay, we're putting this aside. What's going on with you two here? You know, you've got yes. into this business to do it. Um, we're going to put this aside and we're going to work on you today um, yeah. because you're not, you're not connecting at all. And so it's about being chopping and changing and, and ensuring that the goals that you came into this with is what you end up with because it's very easy to get pulled into it as soon as you start working. Or, or you shift them as you come in with a certain set of goals and if they need to be realigned, being able to have somebody recognise this, that they need to be realigned or that, they that you know, this might be your goal, your overall goal, but there's different paths to get there, you know, like right. this path here may be, faster or better or for you to get to that point you know that it might be a better map there are a lot of shiny objects around me. there are <laughs> i actually look i do have one rule when i start coaching and that is that you do not accept or buy anything online or coaching or packages or anything unless you talk to me first that's what we do because because this is the thing as soon as you know that whole attraction facebook listens you know whatever it is as soon as you get on your next step in your journey everything just pivots and turns to you and says, look what we've got flashing yes. up here. And you go, that's exactly what Christine's talking about. I should buy that. I should spend money. And, you know, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, I've got all that stuff. I can just hand it to them or I've done that or I've got that course or, you know, I can design it for the templates, whatever. But, you know, it's just, and, and you know, it's you see that. It is. You see, you see those, you know, I love that meme and I always show it in one of my presentations. I have this meme that you would have seen and it's, you know, um, you know, the journey from A to B is a straight line. Yep. In small business, it looks like that. Yes, yes. But the thing is, but it makes a joke of it, but the thing is it shouldn't because the only reason it does is because that second dot, that B, is not stuck on the wall of what you want because yep. every day you need to look at that and then make that choice every day that you get to say, okay, if I get that, will that get me to where I want to be? And if it doesn't, put it aside till then. Yeah, absolutely. It might take a different map to get you to where you want to be. And, right. and you know, the, the old 
law of attraction, the secret, the, you know, that my, my great friend in LA, she calls it the Godiverse. verse um, the God or the universe <laughs> depends who you care about or who you listen right. to. Right. But yeah. um, as you say, like all of a sudden, when you get one step into the journey, all of a sudden the journey is flooded with like-minded things approaching you and being around you. And that's the point not to become distracted on the journey. I have some good friends who um, years ago, they were, they were standing on a stage actually uh, accepting an award. And she said, um, she's highly critical, lovely, lovely girl, like really lovely and her and her husband. And, and she said, I had made this comment. I don't even remember making it. And she was saying <laughs> she was she was questioning their coach about their about whether you know it was real or not. And I said, for God's sake, just take it as perhaps he's right. Why don't we just try this and nothing else and just follow this line? Perhaps he's right. And uh, she said, I'd said this to her one day, probably because I got sick of her questioning it. And um, she said, you know, we sat around and we did that. And, yeah, we're making great money. We've got a great home. We've got a great family life. We've got a great relationship. Perhaps he's right. And it's a, a really interesting thing of just sticking to the knitting, you know, like in the clothing trade, we'd say stick to the knitting. Just keep doing that, you know, just keep pulling that out in front of you. And I think a lot of people learn a bit and then run off to the next shiny thing, but never actually bed in the thing they learned. They never actually get it systemized or um, totally locked in their head. And yeah. so time takes time. You know, you can't, that the old law of the farm, you can't sow and reap in the same day sort of thing unless it's made to be done that way. It takes time to go through the seasons. So this is consistency every single yeah. time. Yeah. But, you know, um, and I think that the other thing that is going back to your room with the doors, mm. yes, it can come through forgetting that consistency is the key to success, um, but it can also be that doing that one thing has brought up those experiences, that, that the blocks that you have, and so you shy away from it as well. And, and you know, the, the self-doubt and everything else that kind of pops up and go, and, you know, all the imposter syndrome that yes. they've got this great facade and they're being successful, but what's going on in their mind? It's always mindset first. It needs to come back to it. And recognising that is the key to it. Do you want to touch on imposter syndrome for me? Oh, what, sorry? On imposter syndrome for me. Oh, imposter syndrome. Oh, that's I a love fun this. one. I love it because so many people suffer from it, but they don't recognise it. Yeah. You know, imposter syndrome is um, one of the things that, you know, everyone has it, although it's to some degree. Um, however, um, Unfortunately, you know, it's attributed mostly to uh, to women, but I disagree because oh, really? everyone has it to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, like, I think women will talk about it more, whereas when you're coaching, you see it in everyone. Um, and that's the thing with when you start a business or you, you get a new job or you're leading a business or whatever it is, you have to have a presence and, you know, people do websites and social media and, you know, you put up this facade of, you know, not fake it till you make it, but just bluff it till you believe in it. Yeah. Um, and what tends to happen is you go out there as a, a, as a novice and you give it a go, 
But then all of a sudden you start questioning yourself and say, who do I really think I am? And then you start looking at other people, comparing your success to them, and you think, oh, my gosh, they're so great. Um, you know, my book, Grow People, Grow Your Business, um, if I looked at Brené Brown and said, oh, why am I bothering to write about leadership and having people in a business and growing a business? Why would anyone want my book when they could have Brené's, you know? Mm-hmm then that's exactly what imposter syndrome is. Instead, it's about, and and again, that can come from experiences in the past. So it's one of the things that we deal with first in NLP is to say, let's get your mindset right because success is a really, um, it's a mindset. Um, And imposter syndrome is just thinking, why am I here? I don't deserve to be. This is, is, you know, all a facade and I'm going to fail. I see. Uh, yeah, I see, um, like you, I see a lot of people with it. And also I have pieces of it myself, obviously, like I think we all do yeah. at different points. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a really interesting thing. I'm, like you, I'm one of those people who, yeah, I say yes pretty easily and I jump into things that I go, oh, my God. A, shit, if they find out I'm here that I'm going to be in big trouble. And B, <laughs> and B, who do I need to execute what I've got, what I've signed up for? You know, who, who's who's in my team? Um, yeah, I, I think there's an element of that, and but then that builds uh, again another level of self confidence. That then builds another level of self confidence, and that and that's the magic of it. But it's being able to um, not let it paralyze you. I think, and that's why I went. Well, I think a lot of people that uh, are in creative industries see other people in creative industries and really judge themselves against them. Um, yes. But they don't know the environment those people are in. They don't know the people they've got around them. They don't know whether they're, you know, sitting on their own in a room or whether they've got a world-class team around them and, you know, it, it's somebody else's idea they've executed or whatever. You know, they don't know those things, but they let it paralyze them. And in creative industries, it's very... Um, it's very, very personal. You know, sometimes in management things, it's not so personal. It's just a job kind of, but it, it, it or there's organisational structure and rules that happen. But in creative, it's a piece of you that you give out. And so it's very easy to feel like an imposter when you're, when you're giving yourself out and hoping somebody likes what you did. <laughs> I, know, I know. And then, you know, they get told to do a, um, a Facebook live challenge and, you know, they get up there and for five days in a row doing live and then they just. God, how do they do it, eh? How do they do it? <laughs> Ooh, we just paused. Hello, come back, come back, come back, come back. Christine, come back, come back. I got you. Have I got you? Have I lost you? Sorry about that. Oh, was it your end? I was going, God, I, I, I think so. I, I think uh, I think Marley started gaming, so. Okay. <laughs> 23, 40. Uh, it's okay. Don't worry. I'll, I'll we'll edit that little bit together. Yeah, I think that's. We'll start from I don't know here. Um, <laughs> it's good. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> the insights around imposter syndrome, I think, are really oh, fascinating. Yeah. You know, like, mm. um, and so many people don't recognize it in themselves. And if they can get help to recognize it in themselves, that it, it unlocks one of those doors and it takes them on a faster journey. Um, and then they will hit imposter syndrome again and again and again through their um, time. You know, that's going to be growth. That's You're going to feel like you're sometimes not the person who should be in the room. I always have this little saying. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, I have this little saying, which is, I look around in a room and when there's a big problem, I look and I, I kind of judge everybody in the room. So I'm very judgy. And I go, shit, if I'm the smartest person in this room, we're in trouble. So who else needs to be in the room? <laughs> correct. Correct. If I've got um, but there is, I should actually add, there are a couple of, if you've got some listeners um, who are recognizing, have never heard of imposter syndrome before and they're recognizing it in themselves. It's probably worth just saying that there are a couple of things that they can do straight away. Um, And so number one would be to actually recognize that knowledge is power. And if, if, you know, if you've started listening to this and you thought that's actually me, Mm -hmm. um, the number one thing that you can do is just start um, to self-reflect. So every time you feel that coming on and you recognize that in yourself, just stop for a second and think where is that coming from and, and kind of go back and just question why and just work through that for a second and then realize what it is so that you, to help you move forward. So that's the first one. When you recognize it, when you know what it is, and you can recognize it and think about it. Um, but the second thing is um, habitualizing something also overcomes it. So, you know, just even having a 30-day plan, just think once you've recognized what those behaviors are that that lock your body down, actually just writing those things down and do it once a day for 30 days. You just tick it off every single day when you think that I did that today. Um, yeah. And you know, habitualizing it, it changes your normal state. So would it doesn't that, stretch it and snap back. Would that be something like, you know, um, I am, you know, people people have their I am's list. And, you know, I often listen to Tim Ferriss and, um, you know, guys like Tim who will talk about their daily routine. They have these habitual daily routines. You know, Chase Jarvis mm. is another favourite of mine. Daily routine of I get up, I do these things, and it doesn't matter where they are, they make a way of fitting it into it. So they've always got their self-recognition. They always take time out to meditate. They always take time to do these things. And meditation could be you know one minute long or it could be 20 minutes long, whatever you need in that moment, you know, um, or and, but just having a habit and habitualizing yeah. these things and locking them in after 30 days, you know, they start to get a lot more locked in because the habits formed. And that's, mm-hmm. I think it's a really valuable thing for people. If they're feeling that, then have something um, that takes them back to something. I often mm-hmm. see people who, you know, speak on stage a lot and stuff and they will fire an anchor. You know, they have something that they do that makes um, it's a, a brain switch for them that they've set up with NLP, I imagine, but they've set up yes. a brain switch. And <laughs> that brain, yeah, hypnotherapy. Yeah. And so that brain switch switches on and then, you know, it's there. Um, I, I have one that I use like that, which is I, I'm dyslexic, so I don't write down lots of things. And I when I do, you can't read them. You know, nobody else can read them. Um, they're, in, they're in my own code. 
that I will go to somebody's house and be there for two, three hours talking to them about things and, you know, like understanding what we're going to do with this house or this piece of land or whatever it is. And um, I have some anchors that I fire before I do that. Every time I get out of the car, I fire the anchor. And that anchor will give me, uh, in this case, it turns on my alpha brainwave so that I can actually retain the knowledge subconsciously rather than consciously. So, it, but it's a, a yes. learned practice. It's a habit and a yes. learned practice. Yeah. yeah. I love those kind of um, little pieces of life that make life simpler um yeah they make it they and make it structure special. your brain with that as well you know before you go to sleep at night if you know you've got something on the next day um you know your brain's awake anyway so if you give it some instructions before you go to sleep right before you enter your you know beta sleep on the yep. way down yep. give some instructions about tomorrow's a big day you will you know uh, retain knowledge, you know, all of those kind of things. Give it some instructions and um, and set yourself up for the day. I think that's an awesome tip, hun. I really do think that's they're, they're great tips. They're great ways of. <laughs> and then as well, always have notepaper by your bed just in case something pops up. Like if it's if it's planning for you, you want to be ready for whatever it gives. Yeah, I've got notepaper by my end of my bed, but or by the side of bed, but I've got about four books on it that I'm psychologically reading in the dark without um i'm waiting for the knowledge of those books to transfer to my head <laughs> good luck with that that's called an audio version. oh you'd like it to transfer you need the audio version, the audio version. <laughs> and then it does it i was thinking the text you know, was just gonna end you, up in my head i'll tell you a funny story i um i record uh, i am a hypnotherapist as well yes. it's part okay, of nlp wow. cool yeah but, um, and so I've recorded all my own hypnotherapy and I have them on my phone. Um, but I once went to bed and I started it on the playlist and it must have played through like the whole lot. And I woke up and my brain, it felt like it was firing like everywhere. And I actually had to do a meditation session to get rid of it because <laughs> it was just one after the other. It just received it all and it was just, it was huge. It was a nightmare. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I put them on different playlists now. Yeah, exactly. It suddenly became <laughs> game on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like I'm doing what you told me to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and then it's only disappointed in the fact that you haven't got around to getting that stuff done. Yeah, it doesn't know time. Oh, it doesn't know time. That you know, your brain doesn't doesn't, doesn't recognize time. That's a that's a construct that we've put out there. You know, to deal with the sun goes up and the sun go you know goes down. That's yeah. our own our own construct. Yeah. And the season. Yeah, and depending go. where you grew up and you know who you grew up with, is your perception will be what you're told since childhood. Absolutely. Until absolutely. you make the choice otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent until you make the choice otherwise. So tell me with this. Um, we were talking earlier about you went to Florida and um, mm. you've just got back from Florida. And yeah. Being in Florida, you did some really cool horse riding and stuff, and I've got some some friends here that there might be a parallel with it um, here in Queensland. But tell us about that holiday in the heat, in the sun, uh, sticky, hot Florida. Were there good thunderstorms? Is it thunderstorm season yet or not? Uh, there are thunderstorms every afternoon. Yeah. So, um, yeah, similar to North Queensland, you know, mm -hmm. you can see them rolling over about 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, starts raining, lightning, thunder, Six o'clock, it's gone. Beautiful evening. So, yes. 
Yeah, yeah. very, very nice. It was, but so hot, oppressive during the day, you know, 44 degrees one day. Yeah, huge wow. humidity. But, you know, it was beautiful. It was, you know, we got to be in the ocean and um, had a great time. So, yeah, that was good. Mm. I I um I used to live in Joburg many years ago and oh, did you? Um, yeah, yeah just for oh. a short stint uh, about a, two years nearly and with that what was really fascinating with that was um that was the same thing you have these big thunderstorms in the afternoon mm-hmm. and it's hot and it's sticky and then well, it's not so sticky because Joburg's reasonably dry but it's hot mm. and then these huge thunderstorms hit and you know, you take memories away from places with you and they have all the jacaranda trees. When the yes. thunderstorms would hit, they'd often get hailstorms as well. And all mm-hmm. the jacaranda trees would be like shredded, all the all the le- all the flowers would be shredded, all the leaves would be shredded, and the roads would be carpets of purple and green, you know. It was just the, yeah, the, the things that you remember from places. The it's amazing. Of the color. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. When you said thunderstorms, I'm like yeah, here in Queensland we get them, and certainly I've seen, experienced them in Florida when I've travelled, um, and that was the other place that it's got a real memory is is Joburg. Um, so tell me about the horses, and we were talking earlier about the horses, how you guys went riding them, and just where they come from, and I, I've got this thing around, I don't know anything about it, but around, you know, you hear about equine therapy, and then mm. also um, therapy for the horse itself. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. So um, it's a treat that my daughter and I have everywhere we go. We try and ride horses um, and, you know, we love the beach and the water and we had an experience actually down at Ballina. You can do that down at Ballina as well. Okay. Well, we rode horses on the, on the beach and um, are we being joined? Oh, no way. Look who's coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. How are you? Oh, gosh, I'm good. I'm good. I had that AstraZeneca yesterday and I feel like death. Oh, no. oh really? Oh, no. So we've just, yeah, been, no, fine. we've just been joined by Shelley, um, Shelley Boyd, and she is on the podcast also. You can find her a few episodes back. Um, Shelley is, is it, what was that? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that about the AZ. No, no, it's fine. I think a lot of people are thinking that. Look, I had the Pfizer and the second shot of the Pfizer left me um, really achy and really like um, flu-like symptoms, but really Mm. achy back and stuff like that. It lasted 24 hours, maybe a little bit longer. It's just the day. Yeah. My head was a little fuzzy for maybe two days, but that may not have been the Pfizer. (laughs) <laughs> you've got to you've got to cope with that feeling bad somehow <laughs> how's your head Shelly celebrating your uh, birthday with that champagne I saw yes <laughs> I had a great time really good solo of course oh yes husband it's so, <laughs> exactly so for everybody who's listening <laughs> clarify yeah, that. yeah yes <laughs> um for everybody who's listening, Shelley is on a previous podcast and we talk about a lot of things, including her business, which is um, where she supplies beautiful furniture into the interior design industry um, throughout Australia. And she's just a fantastic person. Now, I met Christine via Shelley. So that was why I wanted Shelley to join us and be able to 
have a conversation with Christine as well. We were just about to talk, though, about equine therapy and um, therapy for the horse as well because um, Christine just had this amazing experience in Florida and we're just about to talk about something that. I've always wanted to do, so I'm all ears. When you come over, Shelley, I will take you. I'll take you both. So um, I saw it. I was in Florida a couple of months ago and um, I just saw these horses swimming in the bay at Anna Maria Island. It's called sea ponies, but like a letter C, but obviously playing words. And um, and so, of course, I booked it because I said, you know, that's fantastic. We need to go horse riding in the water, you know, literally swimming. So just the head out of the water and you were on this horse. And um, and so when we went, we booked it, you know, the whole story, I just booked it because it was an opportunity to swim with horses. Uh, but they give you the whole story. And so um, the horses are gypsy bays, which uh, I didn't know what they were, but they're beautiful. They're massive horses, like huge horses. And these ones, you know, when you sometimes when you go um, overseas, clearly not in the USA because what you'd expect but sometimes you see quite emaciated horses and you kind of doubt that they're going to be okay these ones are massive muscular fat uh well cared for horses and so i was really confident and comfortable with that um and so we went out these horses and uh, the story that they told was amazing so they um rescue the gypsy bays specifically as a breed all over the u.s and also canada um and have done for 20 years and you know whether it's been um and they they tell you the story because they keep pausing like they'll go out for a swim then give the horse a break and then they'll go out for a swim and every time they give the horse a break and you're standing you know the break you're standing kind of with your up to basically your knees in the water before they start swimming again they tell you the story each of the horse's story that you're riding and you know in the horse that I was on, uh, her name is Stella, and she was beautiful, and um, she'd come from Canada, and so she was from a, um, like, a horse farming place, and they used her as a stud mare. Is that a thing? I don't know what you mean, like a breeding mare? I don't know what you call it. And I guess not a stud. But anyway, a breeding mare. The and so she the had, other part of that. Yeah, the other yeah. part, you know. <laughs> um, but she had birth after birth after birth, and so she was emaciated and she had like a really bowed back and um and she was on her way to the slaughterhouse and who had contacted them because they decided that she couldn't breed anymore so they need to get rid of her um and so they got this horse and so what they do with all their horses as soon as they get them they get them into the water because they're usually abandoned or or just not wanted or something whatever it is, they're, they don't have the strength. And mm-hmm. so they get them in the water as their soul therapy, they call it, um, mm-hmm. and they get them stronger. And so Stella, who I was riding, you wouldn't have noticed that she had a bowed back at all. She was a completely strong, healthy, fat horse. And they'd also got one of her um, um, sons, I don't know what it's called, <laughs> Her boy babies. Offspring, yeah, her boy babies. (laughs) So um, he he was not a, that's it. So he was not rescued, but he was um, just one that they they petitioned to get with Stella. And um, so they they brought him too. And, but yeah, they ride these horses and they tell you the stories and they're all, and it's so funny because um, they love it so much. So my horse, when we got in the the water, because I didn't know this story and it just started groaning, like 
every, with every stroke, Sophia was just like, this cow, I'm not going to make this noise. Oh, I guess I will. I was like, oh, oh. like just every, and Marley and I were just laughing, like what is going on with my horse? And she said, um, and she explained because um, the water goes underneath the saddle, it's like a massage form every time the saddle kind of goes oh, down. Wow. It it's yeah. ecstasy. She loves it. And she's just every single time, every single stroke she makes it, she's like, oh, like a massage. Like she loves it. But the funniest thing, there was this other horse there and uh, and it kept sticking its head underwater and just blowing bubbles. And she said, don't worry about that horse. I think his name is Gypsy. Don't worry about that horse. He's not drowning. He just likes blowing bubbles. That one loves the water. So every time we stood there, this horse was underwater, just blowing bubbles. It was the funniest thing. They clearly loved it and, um, and you know, they do a great job. And, yeah, I, I think that it's amazing. I, I, I love that. Uh, I think, you know, this, uh, I don't know much about equine therapy at all, but I certainly know of friends of mine and people that I've come across where, uh, they have people who come in and work often with rescue horses or uh, horses that need to be rehabilitated. Um, but not only that, um, and the movement of learning and being on a horse and all the rest, you know, I've heard of things, again, don't know anything really to about it, but, you know, people with ADHD and stuff like that where it can really be a settling um, thing where this bond between the, the rider and the horse and it, it, whether it clears brain paths or whether it, I don't know, maybe it's like tree hugging or something, not really sure, but certainly, you know, you're, oh, you're telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the horse oh, is benefiting the same as the, the human. Beautiful animals, so, uh, so intelligent, complete connection. I think there's nothing like just leaning your head against a horse. You know, it's, yeah, it's just magic. There's actually quite a few, um, uh, I, I want to say, not charity, but uh, non-profit organisations mm -hmm. that support um, domestic violence and um, um, other kind of charities and um, and people that need that connection and they've actually bought some ranches where, you know, you can have a retreat and, and have that equine therapy, you know, all around the hills area around here and also Montana. Um, girlfriend was looking at getting involved in it as well that I met through NLP. So, yeah, it's, it's equine therapy is amazing. Yeah, and, cool. And the horse, the horse gains as well, especially in what you're saying with that, yeah, those horses are playing in the water. Those horses yes, are, yeah. I love it. Yeah, they love it. You can see that they love it. Mm. That's really cool. So I need a story between you, Shelley, and you, Christine, as to how you met and um, how you girls um, became such good mates. We met at Bond Uni, didn't we? We did. <laughs> I had to have a bit of a flashback then. Yes, we did. Yes, we sat next to each other at... Uh, at a breakfast and just networking breakfast connected yeah christine's yeah. a very very good networker i gathered <laughs> i you know i i i kind of when i when you said that i thought am i really i think i'm just i think i'm, I'm just fascinated with people and just like we talked about before adrian nosy and curious yeah. and so i need to kind of meet them and understand how you got into that business and what you do and and why and what drives you and everything. So um, I think my um, my networking is more just curiosity. Yeah, just fascination with people. 
Which is great because you you are genuinely interested and I think that's lovely. You know, a lot of networkers, you know, always have a bit of an agenda and, mm. um, and you know, you can feel that. Mm. Whereas Christine's very open and, um, you know, just a lovely, warm person. And we've just um, developed a really nice, you know, um, yeah, we don't talk a great deal, but, yeah. But when you know, we just, do, it's so fun. You know, just before I left, what have been... The last few times that we've connected have just been the most fun. You know, you had that amazing um, uh, fashion show at your show yes. in Brisbane, and then uh, and then my farewell lunch came along to that. So it's just it amazing, fabulous things. Walks, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, the and, book. yeah, and Adrian actually did a podcast with Elaine Kim. It's not. Oh, it's did not you release that yet. one? Yeah, no, no, it's not released yet. It's oh, coming. It's coming. I, was yeah. gonna, I, would, I would thought I would have seen that one on there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I actually thought I was wearing one of Elaine's shirts now, shirts now, but it's a different one. No. Hi, yes. <laughs> Shelly is as well. Oh, yes, I know that shirt, Shelly. Yes, I've seen you wear it before. Yeah, I did interview Elaine, and that was really fascinating. She was, um, her husband's she's actually lovely. an architect. Oh, gosh, she's fabulous. Um, yeah, just uh, my whole background was fashion before it became um, design of, you know, buildings and stuff like that. So, yeah. Swimwear, though, I heard. What was that? Swimwear, I heard. Yeah, I did um, I did swimwear for, um, you might remember the brand Moontide um, yes. swimsuit. So I headed up yeah. them and before that um, one called Pizzazz, um, which was a New Zealand label that, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, swimwear, and I did some overseas as well with swimwear, but women's swimwear, yeah. It was um, it was a lot of fun. It was worth getting up for every morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah great industry, good fun. Yeah, very fast and moves quickly, you know, like you liken it to, um, say, an industry like architecture, which is slow moving, or interiors, which at least they move faster than um, architecture, but they don't move as fast as fashion you know fashion is probably the, the the most fun of you know you've got to make it make it happen be in front and push forward constantly you know and you've got to find your customer niche really well um you actually know it there's a lot of there's a lot of strategy and future involved you know the client that i worked with they had 12 um 12 seasons and, yep. you know, their, their stuff was coming out a year in advance and mm-hmm. which I always found fascinating with the designers, like, you know, how do you know what's next? You know, it's just what's next, what's next? Yeah, that's the journey of it. It's, it's high-paced and, and it is what's next. I mean, Shelley, you're in that same journey somewhat with interiors. It's like what's next and you're, you're making that decision um, way in advance. Uh, you know, and yeah. you know, you're, you're you're betting the bank on it. You know, it's all on black <laughs> at the casino <laughs> when you go. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, you've mm. got a bit of a spread, but it's all your spread. Yeah, you you've got the table. Um, yeah, we're work- we're working always two years in advance. So you know, things that are just being released now, are, you know, they were developed two years ago. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, fortunately for us, we're not really about high fashion. We're more about sort of timelessness and. Um, more classic design, you know, pieces that don't date, but still, we're we're releasing four new collections a year now. Mm. And so when it's... you think, you know, that they have to happen, you know, we're... I mean, the last trip I did to the Philippines was, um, gosh, a good a good 
three years ago now. I mean, time's just flown by and um, who knows when I can travel again. So it's a completely different way of doing business at the moment. You know, we're having to get samples sent over here, whereas normally we would go over to the factory, critique the samples, make the changes in the week that we were there. Yes. Yeah. So now the process is a lot longer. Mm. Anyway. That's a big shift in business, though, as well, like um, the fact that, you know, you, you where where it's something that's so highly tactile. Um, you know, it, it, the difference is, is, like, you know, Christine, you can do all your, your business well, you could do it all from Skype or from Zoom or whatever it is if you wanted. Yep. Um, as you say, it's really nice to be in the room with people as well. And then, Shelley, you know, your business is so highly tactile uh, that it's touch and feel. And then you look at my business and they have to just run on pure belief. They 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 don't ever get to sit in the chair because, you know, the chair doesn't exist. It's, um, you, know, you don't get to live in the house until the house is there. So it, it, the, the leaps of faith are all at different levels and I can't really imagine I have done it, but, it, but it's a different sort of, it's a different genre when you're doing it for somebody that you've maybe never physically met. And we have done, you know, homes for people we've never physically met. But I think you get so much from being in a physical space and certainly, you know, from my clothing trade days, being at, and, at fabrics and stuff and, you know, the wood and feeling the weight of it versus the shape and the tone or the, you know, seeing the, the pattern in something or, you know, whether it's open or closed and, you know, just there's so much that the smell of it even you know, with furniture. Also people's energy and body language. Do, you know, like for you particularly, Adrian and Christine, I mean, when you're working with clients, you know, don't you pick up on the body? I mean, there's obviously got to be an enormous amount of trust there, but, you you know, so much when, when you have to do things on Skype or um, Zoom and you haven't got that that connection face-to-face and, you, you know, that energy, you can't feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't feel it as much. I, I struggle with that, you know, with, you know, zooming in on a factory and looking oh, yeah. at pieces is not the same as being in the factory and working and touching and being creative with the with the makers, you know, yeah. the artisans. Yeah. I really but, miss it. Yeah, you yeah. don't get to drag it around the room and you don't get to <laughs> just go back to it or catch it out of the corner of your eye and spot something that you didn't really pick up in that first view of it. Um, and it doesn't get to grow on you because you see it and then it's gone. We used to do the same with clothing samples. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, get it here so that we can actually see what it's like, especially when it's got to fit on somebody. You know, that's, you know, that's another part of the journey, <laughs> making it fit, especially if you do swimwear, of course. Swimwear is, you know, it's, uh, it, it carries a lot of fear for most um, women, um, as well as a lot, a lot of excitement. So it's a real sort of. I've never ever been excited about a swimsuit ever. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> <course> you have. <laughs> no matter how happy I am with my figure or my weight, I've never been excited about a swimsuit. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> oh come on, Christine! Have you ever been excited about a swimsuit? Every day, every day, my favorite thing. As soon as I see a swimsuit, I get excited. I'm getting in that water. But Christine's <laughs> like an Amazon. She's tall and glamorous. She's so tall and beautiful. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. 
I think that I'd be in that water anyway, swimsuit or no swimsuit. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the thing with that is, is the level of self-criticality and then the level, of, the, the level of I don't give a fuck is like you've got to get a balance there, don't you, with it? Um, you know, I, I certainly know that it, uh, it was an interesting journey, you know, doing swimwear where we would be, um, you know, fitting it on our models, our fit models, and then, you know, we'd be photographing it on our models. And yes, they all have, you know, somewhat perfect bodies in somebody's mind. And um, then actually getting to know them well enough that they would say, oh, my God, I'd never wear that thing. You know, and you'd go, why? And they go, oh, and they'd pick themselves to bits or the swimsuit to bits based on themselves and mm -hmm. how they would feel in it. Um, and, you know, like where you would expect there to be so such low insecurity, there was equally as high insecurity at every level. It doesn't change. It's, um, and I, I don't think that men probably are any different. They probably just got less give a fuck in it. You know, there's... It, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I think everybody when that depends on the person. Everyone's yeah. different. Yeah, when you're near naked, there's um there's probably a certain amount of uh, of criticality that you're carrying. <laughs> <laughs> Unless All you're that alone. That we talked about. You know. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, so, Christine, what's next in your journey? Well, get, Shelley and I are going to give you some coaching in, in case you don't get it right. But you tell us oh. what's next in your journey. <laughs> You're going to give me a strategy session? Well, I think so. <laughs> Shelley, you up for it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the moment, you know, I'm really just, I'm really keen to uh, build my network over here. I mean, I'm, you know, some of the Australian businesses that, I hadn't worked with, but, you know, just people that I've known have contacted me because of their inability to travel. They used to travel over here every year. All of a sudden they can't get here. And so they're getting me to be their person on the ground on various consulting projects or expansion projects or checking in on their leadership team or giving them a, you know, a 360-degree review of their, the culture over here. You know, all sorts of really interesting things that, um, that I'd never really considered before, but people are actually approaching me and saying, we can't get over there. Can you do this for us? So that's been really fun. Um, but I would like to expand over here and meet more people in the US. So it's kind of, I'm, I'm back to, it was really interesting when I first came because it's been a while since I did actual networking, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I guess because I'm, as we talked about before, Adrian, I'm, I'm quite, um, you know, I, choosy as to who who I work with and um and I can only work with so many people because I like to do that one-to-one -one and really personal and work yeah. with them um you know I have the programs and all of that but you know this is for who I will work with and so um I, you know coming over here I had to sort of start again and it was you know that that step of going huh I need to go back to my roots and redo my own building strategy and so I did that. I, you know, I used myself as my own client um, and said, okay, if I'm starting again from scratch when no one knows me, uh, even though I have, you know, a business partner over here and everything else, you know, I need to build my own credibility in a whole new fish pond. So, um, you know, going out and networking again and meeting people and thinking, okay, 
what are the five things that I'll do this week to build the business and meet and meet people? And so that's been really fun. That's that's kind of me at the moment saying, okay, well, how can I start again? How can I use myself, like you know, the things that I do with my clients on my own business over here? Awesome. That's I think going back to basics is a good plan, you know. Back to basics. And you know, and there's ego attached to that as well. I think for a lot of people in this market. Um, you know, because in Australia and in my market and my network, you know, I'm, I, I was well known. I get referred business consistently, yeah. and I still do, somebody. thankfully, over yeah. there. But then you step here and you go, okay, I need to start again. Nobody knows who I am here, and, and I think a lot of people found that recently. And now, you know, with all the lockdowns in Australia, it's that. I need to go back. I might have been successful doing what I was doing, but now things have changed. And so, and that's been really, really challenging for a lot of people to go, okay, well, what's my new strategy? I need to start again. I love that. I think that's such an important thing to constantly be referring back to that, um, even if you don't have to. You know, Shelley, mm -hmm. every time you do a collection of something, you pretty much have to go retrospective back to what makes this tick. Um, am I on the right track? Will this work? Um, I always think the same with with a, a home to design a house for someone. You have to go, just get back to your basic building blocks of what, what has to happen first and be rigorous in that process to be able to go to the next process. You know, there's, um, and, and also to, to adjust a brand as well, like, um, you know, to start a new piece of a brand or to adjust a brand, you have to do the same thing. You have to go right back to, uh, as if you're at ground zero and build off that. Right, because your house is going to fall down if you don't have your foundations, right? That's it, eh? Like, yeah, don't just think that. Uh, and also it's an opportunity to um, take the lessons past and put them into place in the right order that you've learnt that order over, you know, you've got the benefit of, of having learnt that order over, you know, 20 years or 10 years or whatever it is. And then you yeah. actually get to reposition those all again, knowing that the right order is the right order. Because the first time you did it, you know, I was, I was talking to Samantha Wills on the show and she was saying about, my God, I would have not done any of the, uh, so much if I had any idea what the fear and the, the what I'd have to get to. Um, but what I didn't know actually allowed me to do it. That was the difference. And, and that makes the difference, I think, often. But I think the thing that I was going to add to that was that, um, you know, even when things are going well and I do a strategy session before I start working with a client um, and it comes back to that imposter syndrome that we were talking about before, yes. Adrian, as well, um, is that actually recognising where you've been and those mistakes that you've made um, and accepting them and also valuing them for the lessons that you've taken from that. Because so many people, when you're looking at what they want and what they, you know, what where they want to be in the future, they tell you what they don't want. I don't want that. And it's actually you know, a reframe mm -hmm. to get you instead. Yes, accept that lesson. And then if we didn't have that, what would you want instead so that we can actually get to that point of the future of where we're going? I love that. I love that. That imposter syndrome thing. Shelley, do you have you ever experienced it or do you still experience imposter syndrome? Um, oh no. Yeah. 
<laughs> Look, when I go when I go to a, a really big uh, international fair, and you know you and you you walk onto somebody's beautiful stand, and you think, wow, I would love to have this as part of my range, or and you start talking to them, and they don't know you from a bar of soap, and and you you know I don't know sometimes people just. Yeah, I don't really ever feel like an imposter, no, but I, I do understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I, yeah, I can't really articulate how I feel on that. But, um, no, I'm, I'm pretty confident. That's good. You know you're fabulous. It's yeah, fine. exactly. You know you too. I remember, <laughs> I remember one of my imposter syndrome things was um, I, I was in Hong Kong and, Anyway, I was with two other guys that we were going to a meeting. So I was with the CEO and I was with the international general manager of the company. So he he, he managed everything offshore from New Zealand. And um, I was the head of design. And um, we ended up, we, I got, a, I got a, a message from Ron saying, for Christ's sake, don't turn up in jeans, dress up. That was his message. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I put on like, you know, dress trousers and shoes, yeah, real shoes, not sand shoes, not just sneakers. Um, and I put on a, a, a shirt, like a business shirt. Don't think I put on a tie. And I had a jacket, like I had a blazer or something. So that was me very, very dressed up. And uh, I came down the lift in the hotel and they're in the lobby and they are suited and booted. Like I'm the fashion guy. They're suited and booted. Like I'm like, oh, shit, look at them. So anyway, and I had these storyboards that we were going to present for this range of clothing for an event. And uh, anyway, they kind of looked at me and I went, okay. And they're like, yeah, it'll do get in the cab, get in the cab. So we out there bundle into you know, one of those red and white cabs in Hong Kong and off we go and we pull up at the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank building, which is an architectural masterpiece. We pull up at the building there and we get out and I'm going, why are we here? And they go, this is where the meeting is. It's at the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. And I'm going, oh, I thought this was for the Rugby Sevens. And they're like, yeah, it is, it is. Come on, come on, just get moving, would you know, stop bloody talking and get in there and next thing we go in and we don't go to the main lift we go to another lift we're taken through security to a private elevator and at this point then I went where are we like what's happening here and we go up the elevator it's all glass that building you know it's, it's incredible get up there and we step out into a reception and this reception right up on top this reception um, we are actually in the chairman's private boardroom, which private lounge is where we've been taken. And I'm sort of, I get out there and I've got my, you know, storyboards under my arm and stuff. And I'm, I'm looking out across Hong Kong and I said something and I think Ron was like, for God's sake, shut up, would you? Just bloody, you know, this is big. This is big like this. Anyway, we sit down. I'm the one who's actually going to have to present the meeting. And we sit down and I look and as the other people arrive for the meeting, there's all these people just suited and booted from men and women just, and it's the um, Hong Kong Rugby Union um, Board of Directors. (laughs) I'm like, oh shit, (laughs) have I prepared enough here? And that whole fear level went through me of, 
you better not just be winging this, Adrian, but you are. So get a breath, know where you're going to go with it. And I'm trying to think with all this panic going through my brain of my strategy of how I'm going to talk about it. Um, and that was one of those moments where I would have happily got back in the lift and left. And uh, I remember one part of the conversation, I was sitting near Ron, who was the CEO, and he went on to be um, CEO of uh, Foot Locker globally, uh, or president of Foot Locker globally um, from that position. But anyway, he, um, I asked something around the financials of how this thing would work uh, after I presented, you know, in the rest of the meeting. And I got this big boot in the shin from beside me, which was Ron kicking me. And when we got out of there, he said, you draw pictures, I do numbers. Shut up. but yeah it was fascinating and that was a real point of imposter syndrome and I I often reflect back to that one the meeting went brilliantly we we did fantastically financially out of it we filmed it it was our first time we formed a very long-term relationship with Hong Kong Rugby Sevens and it became a gig that you know I would go and do every year um and it was very profitable for us as a company and stuff like that. So, But I often reflect back when there's a really big moment, I go, mm, chairman's, chairman's Lounge, Hong Kong, Shanghai Bank. Yeah, I got this shit. I can do this. It's, it's, really, it's really interesting how we take on um, that experience and build through our confidence in that, you know, that first year you feel out of place, the second year you try and fit in and then, you know, you're fitting in. But then when you actually get in your steps, at what point do you go, you know what, this is who I am, this is who I'm going to be, and then yes. you step back to your authentic self. Yes. And that's the point that you really kind of step past that imposter syndrome. You're not trying to be someone else. You don't really give a shit what anyone else is doing or thinking about you. You're there to do a job. You know you're damn good at it because you've been here every year. That, that's you get included because of it. You've got some tenature in the job in that position, and you know I think the last time that I probably did turn up, it was in jeans and sneaker and sneakers and a t-shirt kind of. But they knew me, I knew them, they knew the results we could get, and it was all okay. You know, it was it was fine. You know that kind of thing. And that's not acceptable if you're not delivering. But if you are doing a damn good job mm. with it, and how you dress it doesn't matter. It's always good for first impressions, though. I always think, you know, like as a tip for people who are in the um, architectural industry or the design industry, um, you can either run down wearing brands that everybody recognises and that gives you some sense of presence in your own self in the room, or you can run your own course on it, but you only get one chance to make a first impression. Make sure it's one you want to be known as. You have to have a strategy behind it. That's all part of the NLP, right? There has to be a reason for it and how you're going to use it and what's going to come of it. Yeah, there's got to be the story. Mm. It's a, you know, I I find like depending on what kind of clients you deal with, sometimes I might go in a T-shirt and jeans, but I will wear a blazer or something like that. Um, Yeah, very much. respect. Yeah, that's the other point, respect, and then fitting with the tribe enough to be recognised as that you fit in with the tribe enough. Still an individual, but you fit enough that you belong in the room. I think it's a big a big point, especially when you're going to ask people for a lot of money. They probably um, appreciated the fact that you put on pants out of overboard shorts, so, you know, that's respect, right? 
<laughs> I know. It's so funny. So you funny. had your had your storyboards under your arm, not your uh, not your your kiteboard. So yeah, that's, that's uh, respect, right? It is. Shelley, you must get a lot of that. People have, uh, must have a reasonable expectation, apart from the fact that you always turn up so beautifully presented to everything. Um, you must get a reasonable expectation. People have a reasonable expectation of you to match the your your company's profile. Yeah, I mean, look, it's yeah. Look, I'm I'm very authentic. You know, I I dress these days because I'm busy and I'm running around. I. I think you can always be stylish. I mean, today I have jeans and a and a pair of you know casual runners on, and I, because I'm I'm up and down the ladder, I'm doing all sorts of stuff today. I'm not seeing clients, but even if I was seeing clients, I'm quite comfortable in my own skin. At, you know, at my age, and um, I always well, say in to my twenties. <laughs> I wish. I say to my my team a lot, though, first impressions matter. And look, we're in a creative industry and we're in a design industry and we have to look the part. And we're selling beautiful high-end luxury products. So, you know, we have to we have to match that. And if, if any of my team, you know, sometimes I think, oh, you look like you're going to the beach. I have to pull them aside and say, listen, yeah. you know, I need you to smarten your act up because, and I don't have to say it very often. It's like, very, very rare that I have to say that because when you work in the environment that we work in, you have pride and you have passion and you want to look the part. You know, we want people to love coming to work and feeling good about who they are. And yeah, you know, and um, you're, you're and selling you're selling like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff that yeah. are in, that people are going to engage with personally and a very tactile level as well. And if you don't. But if your authenticity isn't congruent with the product that you're selling, then, yeah, yeah then there's, there's a disconnect and the client feels the disconnect as well. You know, often... But it's um, just all about being authentic and natural. I mean, we have hmm. many, you know, this comes back to you can't charge a book by the cover. We have many wealthy clients, you know, end, end clients, so designers' clients. Designer hmm. might send their clients into our showroom and they might come in looking like absolute you know, Rubbish. Um, scruffs, yeah. and they've got loads of money and we can't be seen to be judging those people. We definitely don't want to judge those people. You know, it's about adjusting your um, your energy to just sort of casually be able to talk to them no matter, no matter how they look or no matter, you know, no matter how you feel. You have to be able to, I mean, I, I've always been good with um, picking up on people's, you know, the way they are and, and being able, you know, if someone's got a plum in their mouth, and you and you, you know, I can speak beautifully as well. But if they're if they're a real sort of cocky farmer or whatever, I can I can get into that zone as well. You can play. You can play across the field. I think but it's not being. It's not being false. It's just being. You know, it's, it's being, being able being to authentic. relax. Connecting. Connecting. Yeah, I was going to say, Christine. You know, like that's that's building rapport, really, isn't it? It's um. It really is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that got- comes to language, to intonation, to facial expressions, to body movements, to absolutely every part of it, yeah, connecting mm. with them. I've got a really good little story with um, something like this. I was in Heathrow Airport with a girl that I used to travel with an awful lot. We worked together and we travelled a lot. And she was a junior and I, I, I was her boss in the firm. And we're in Heathrow Airport and we go into one of the watch shops and and, uh, it was probably Watches of Switzerland or something like that. It wasn't actually, it was Harrods, but it was, they had this big watch area. And in there, there were these, um, some, you know, 
seriously expensive, beautiful watches. And this lady came out to talk to us. And um, my friend Joe, she said, oh, I'm, we're just looking, like just, just having a look around. And she said, do you want to try some on? And um, Joe was like, oh, no, 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 like this. This is imposter syndrome stuff, really. Um, no, 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 no. Like, and I said, well, can we? And she goes, yeah. She goes, you know, they're watches. They've got to be worn by somebody. You could try some. You can try them on. And, you know, they're all locked up. Yeah, they're all locked up. Um, and Joe's like, no, and looks at me. And I said, come on, let's do it. So we ended <laughs> up trying on some watches. And Joe was like, once she tried a couple, then she's like, there's one there. And I, I can't remember how much it was. It was a Cartier watch, but it was, you know, £20,000 or £30,000 or something like that. And the lady goes, go on, try it on. It looked beautiful on you, just try it on. So she does and she's got it on her wrist and she's like, and she goes, oh, my God, you know, just how it, it, it's a beautiful watch, but I just feel different wearing this, you know, and we're having all this conversation. And this woman told us the story. She said, we said, thank you so much for letting us play. You know, just that was so much fun just yeah. to have a play. And um, she said, it's fine. She said, you know, I had this situation a little while ago where a woman came in and was just really scruffy, really badly dressed and stuff, and she looked like an absolute, you know, drug addict and all the rest, and she's poking around in the cases. And she said, um, can I see that watch there? And it was like about a £10,000 watch. And she's like, she said, yes, just one moment, I'll go and get the, the key. She didn't go to get the key. She went out the back to tell them out the back, keep an eye on the door because this woman's going to run off with a watch in a second. It's in the airport, so she's not going to get far. But that's what she went out the back to do. And so she did this. She went out the back and then she came back with the key and she got it and she positioned herself between the woman and the door when she showed her the watch and all the rest. And the woman goes, right, yeah, it's a beautiful watch. She said, um, how many do you have in stock? And she's like, oh, God, this is another ruse now. What's going to happen next? So she said, oh, I'll just ask. And so she called out to the other girl and said, could you just check our stock levels on that? She said to the woman, how many do you require? And she said, I think it was three. And um, she's like, right. So, you know, she's looking at 30,000 quid worth of watches, you know, and, and back in those days that would have been Kiwi dollars around $90,000 or something worth of watches. And... Um, <laughs> The woman says, yeah, I'll take them. They had three. She said, I'll take them. And she's like, All right, well, how would you like to pay for those? And she pulled out an American Express card or I'm pretty sure it was an American Express card. And it was Courtney Love. And she bought them. <laughs> she left the store with three of those watches. <laughs> and wow. she said, that was my biggest lesson ever in judging somebody you don't know who you're talking to at any point in time, you know, and she. It's so true. Yeah. And take people for who they are and give them the respect. Um, don't judge them by your own limitations. Give them the respect of who they can be. And they may turn out to be a drug addict as well. Just give them the respect of being human and all the rest in that journey. They may, you know, they, they may turn out not to be who, who in her life became Courtney, um, Courtney Love, but she just such a journey for her. And she, when she read the card, she went, oh, my God, that is who I'm standing in front of. Um, 
you know, it, and it it it, it kind of made sense at that point. But yeah, so uh, that story around judgment's one that I always it's really hang cool on that to. you put into such a positive thing in allowing everyone to play because yeah, you just don't know and you cannot judge ever. Mm. And you mm. shouldn't. You know what? You shouldn't. No, no, it's hard not to, but we shouldn't. Um, that's been a fascinating chat. Is there anything that, any last words that you would love to add, Christine or Shelley? Oh, no, I don't Maybe think so. This has been super fun. A comment from Sorry? both. A comment from both of you. Comment from both. I think, okay, so I, I, maybe a comment from me would just be, you know what, we spend so much time at work, you know, and juggling and balancing and everything else. Just have fun. Treat everything as an adventure and make the choices based on what you want, you know. It should be fun and lighthearted and should be having a good time. We spend too much time to not do so. Absolutely. And I would just say, you know, for those people out there who um, you know, feel that imposter syndrome, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. You know, just just go for it. We're all normal. We're all the same. Yeah, I love. Yeah, those, we are. I love those both. I really do. You know, like the feel the fear and do it anyway. We brought that book up earlier in the discussion, Shelley. So that was a perfect little piece there. And your know, twenty seconds of courage will take you everywhere. Um, yeah, that's, that's I, one of my I wife's love ones. That. Mm. And. Yeah, take the adventure, Christine. I think take the adventure. The adventure is life is made of little stories and moments and adventures, and uh, you can create one every day. Take some sort of adventure. It's like this podcast for me is an adventure. I love it. It's so fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Lovely lady. to see you both. Yeah, like I'm glad you could join us, Shelley. That was awesome. Lovely surprise. <laughs> it was fun to drop in. So we'll post all your socials and how you can get hold of Christine. You can go back and listen to Shelley on the podcast as well, of course, um, and you'll get some awesome insights into life as well as into design and how her business works as well. Christine, you could take some people so far with, you know, your knowledge, and I think that if people are looking, if they're stuck in some place, then that's a great thing to get some perspective, get a coach, have a session, understand where they could get to. I think it's very valuable. So thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is and see how they answer? And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? 
Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.